Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In the previous episode, Percy just got a quest to go to the to the labyrinth and try and get there before Luke and his army figure figures out a way to get from, you know, from the Princess Andromeda or wherever he is right now to the camp whenever he can because they actually Percy and Annabeth found an entrance to the labyrinth in the middle of their camp and so luke they're worried that luke can use that to enter whenever he wants into the middle of the camp and he won't be affected by the borders so now we're going to read chapter five nico buys happy meals for the dead at least i got a good night's sleep before the quest right wrong that night in my dreams i was in the stateroom of the princess andromeda the windows were open on a moonlit sea Cold wind rustled the velvet drapes. Luke knelt on a Persian rug in front of the golden sarcophagus of Kronos. In the moonlight, Luke's blonde hair looked pure white. He wore an ancient Greek chiton and a white himation, a kind of cape that flowed down his shoulders. The white clothes made him look timeless and a little unreal, like one of the minor gods on Mount Olympus. The last time I'd seen him, he'd been broken, broken and unconscious after a nasty fall from Mount Tam. Now he looks perfectly he looked perfectly fine, almost too healthy. Our spies retort success, my lord, he said. Camp Half-Blood is sending a quest as you predicted. Our side of the bargain is almost complete. Excellent. The voice of Kronos didn't so much speak as pierce my mind like a dagger. It was freezing like with cruelty. Once we have the means to navigate, I will lead the vanguard through myself. Luke closed his eyes as if collecting his thoughts. My lord, perhaps it is too soon. Perhaps Creos or Hyperion should lead. No. The voice was quiet but absolute firm. I will lead one more heart shall join our cause, and that will be sufficient. At last, I shall rise fully from Tartarus. But the form, my lord. Luke's voice started shaking. Show me your sword, Luke Castellan. A jolt went through me. I realized I'd never heard Luke's last name before. It had never even occurred to me. Luke drew his sword, backbiters double-edged glow wickedly, half steel, half celestial bronze. I'd almost been killed several times by that weapon. It was an evil weapon, able to kill both morals and monsters. It was the only blade I really feared. You pledged yourself to me, Kronos reminded him. You took this sword as a proof of your oath. Yes, my lord, it's just... You wanted power. I gave you that. You are now beyond harm. Soon you will lead. You will rule the world of gods and mortals. Do you not wish to avenge yourself? To see Olympus destroyed? A shiver ran through Luke's body. Yes. The coffin glowed, golden light filling the room. Then make ready the strike force. As soon as the bargain is done, we shall move forward. First, Camp Half-Blood will be reduced to ashes. Once those bothersome heroes 
are eliminated, we will march on Olympus. There was a knock on the stateroom doors. The light of the coffin faded. Luke rose. He sheathed his sword, adjusted his white clothes, and took a deep breath. Come in. The doors opened. Two draconae slithered in. Snake woman with double serpent trunks instead of legs. Between them walked Kelly, the Empusa cheerleader for my French freshman orientation. Hello, Luke. Kelly smiled. She was wearing a red dress and she looked awesome, but I'd seen her real form. I knew what she was hiding. Mismatched legs, red eyes, fangs, and flaming hair. What is it, demon? Luke's voice was cold. I told you not to disturb me. Kelly pouted. That's not very nice. You look tense. How about a nice shoulder massage? Luke stepped back. If you have something to report, say it. Otherwise, leave. I don't know why you're so huffy these days. You used to be fun to hang around. That was before I saw what you did to that boy in Seattle. Oh, he meant nothing to me, Kelly said. Just a snack, really. You know my heart belongs to you, Luke. Thanks, but no thanks. Now report or get out. Kelly shrugged. Fine. The advance team is ready as you requested. We can leave. She frowned. What is it? Luke asked. A presence, Kelly said. Your senses are getting dull, Luke. We're being watched. She scanned the stateroom. Her eyes focused right on me. Her face withered into hags. She bared her fangs and lunged. I woke with a start, my heart pounding. I could have sworn the impusa's fangs were an inch from my throat. Tyson was snoring in the next bunk. The sound calmed me down a little. I didn't know how Kelly could sense me in a dream, but I'd heard more than I wanted to know. An army was ready. Kronos would lead it personally. All they needed was a way to navigate the labyrinth so they could invade and destroy Camp Half-Blood. And Luke apparently thought that was going to happen very soon. I was tempted to go wake up Annabeth and tell her, middle of the night or not, then I realized the room was lighter than it should have been. A blue and green glow was coming from the saltwater fountain, brighter and more urgent than the night before. It was almost like the water was humming. I got out of bed and approached. No voice spoke out of the water this time, asking for a deposit. I got the feeling the fountain was waiting for me, to make the first move. I probably should have gone back to bed. Instead, I thought about what I'd seen last, night, the weird image of Nico at the banks of the River Styx. You're trying to tell me something, I said. No response from the fountain. All right, I said. Show me Nico D'Angelo. I didn't even throw, in a co- throw a coin in, but this time it didn't matter. It was like some other force had control of the water besides Iris the messenger goddess. The water shimmered. Nico appeared, but he was no longer in the underworld. He was standing in a graveyard under a starry sky. Giant willow trees loomed all, over, all around him. He was watching some grave diggers at work. I heard shovels and saw dirt flying out of a hole. Nico was dressed in a black cloak. The night was foggy. It was warm and humid, and frogs were croaking. A large Walmart bag sat next to Nico's feet. Is it deep enough yet? Nico asked. He sounded irritated. Nearly, my lord. It was the same ghost I'd seen Nico with before. The faint shimmering of a man. But, my lord, I tell you this is unnecessary. You've already asked me for advice. I want a second opinion. Nico snapped his fingers and the digging stopped. 
Two figures climbed out of the hole. They weren't people. They were skeletons in ragged clothes. You are dismissed, Nico said. Thank you. The skeletons collapsed into piles of bones. You might as well thank the shovels, the ghost complained. They have as much sense. Nico ignored him. He reached in his Walmart bag and pulled out a 12-pack of Coke. He popped open a can. Instead of drinking it, he poured it on into the grave. Let the dead taste again, he murmured. Let them rise and take this offering. Let them remember. He dropped the rest of the Coke into the grave and pulled out a white paper bag decorated with cartoons. I hadn't seen one in years, but I recognized it. A McDonald's Happy Meal. He turned it upside down and shook the fries and hamburger into the grave. In my day, we used animal blood, the ghost mumbled. It's perfectly good enough. They can't taste the difference. I will treat them with respect, Nico said. At least let me keep the toy, the ghost, the ghost said. Be quiet, Nico ordered. He emptied another toll pack of soda and three more Happy Meals into the grave and began chanting in ancient Greek. I caught only some of the words, a lot about the dead and memories and returning from the grave. Real happy stuff. The grave started to bubble. Frothy brown liquid rose to the top like the whole thing was filling with soda. The fog thickened. The frogs stopped croaking. Dozens of figures began to appear among the gravestones. Bluish, vaguely human shapes. Nico had summoned the dead with Coke and cheeseburgers. There are too many, the ghost said nervously. You don't know your own powers. I've got it under control, Nico said, though his voice sounded fragile. He drew a sword, a short blade made of solid black metal. I've never seen anything like it. It wasn't celestial bronze or steel. Iron, maybe? The crowd of shades retreated at the sight of it. One at a time, Nico commanded. A single figure floated forward and knelt at the pool. It made slurping sounds as it drank. Its ghostly hands scooped french fries out of the pool. When it stood again, I could see it much more clearly. A teenage guy in Greek armor. He had curly hot hair and green eyes. A clasp like a shell on his cloak. Who are you? Nico said. Speak. The young man frowned as if trying to remember. Then he spoke in a voice like dry, crumpling paper. I am the Seas. No way, I thought. This couldn't be the Theseus. He was just a kid. I had grown up hearing stories about him fighting the Minotaur and stuff. But I'd always pictured him as this huge buff guy. The ghost I was looking at wasn't strong or tall. And he wasn't any older than I was. How can I retrieve my sister? Nikos asked. To see his eyes were lifeless as glass. Do not try. It is madness. Just tell me. My stepfather died. Decius remembered. He threw himself into the sea because he thought I was dead in the labyrinth. I wanted to bring him back, but I could not. Nico's ghost hissed. My lord, the soul exchange, ask him about that. Decius scowled. That voice. I know that voice. No, you don't, fool, the ghost said. Answer the lord's question and nothing more. I know you. Theseus insisted, as if struggling to recall. I want to hear about my sister, Nico said. Will this quest into the labyrinth help me win her back? Theseus was looking for the ghost, but apparently he couldn't see him. Slowly, he turned his eyes back on Nico. 
The labyrinth is treacherous. There's only one thing that saw me through. The love of a mortal girl. The string was only part of the answer. It was the princess who guided me. We don't need any of that, the ghost said. I will guide you, my lord. Ask him if it is true about an exchange of souls. He will tell you. A soul for a soul, Nico asked. Is it true? I, I must say yes, but the specter... Just answer the questions, Knave, the ghost said. Suddenly, around the edges of the pool, the other ghosts became restless. They stirred, whispering in nervous tones. I want to see my sister, Nico demanded. Where is she? He is coming, Decia said fearfully. He has sensed your summons. He comes. Who? Nico demanded. He comes to find the source of this power, Decia said. You must release us. The water in my fountain began to tremble, humming with power. I realized the whole cabin was shaking. The noise grew louder. The image of Nico in the graveyard started to glow until it was painful to watch. Stop! I said out loud. Stop it! The fountain began to crack. Tyson muttered in his sleep and turned over. Purple light threw horrible ghostly shadows on the cabin walls, as if the specters were escaping right out of the fountain. In desperation, I uncapped Riptide and slashed at the fountain, cleaving it in two. Salt water spilled everywhere, and the great stone fonts crashed to the floor in pieces. Tyson snorted and muttered, but he kept sleeping. I sank to the ground, shivering from what I'd seen. Tyson found me there in the morning, still staring at the shattered remains of the saltwater fountain. Just after dawn, the quest group met at Zeus's fists. I packed my knapsack. Thermos with nectar, baggie of ambrosia, bedroll, rope, clothes, flashlights, and lots of other ba- extra ba- lots of extra batteries. I had Riptide in my pocket. The magic shield wristwatch Tyson had made me was on my wrist. It was a clear morning. The fog had burned off and the sky was blue. Campers would be having their la- lessons today, flying pegasi and practi- practicing archery and scaling the lava wall. Meanwhile, we would be heading underground. Juniper and Grover stood apart from the group. Juniper had been crying again, but she was trying to keep it together for Grover's sake. She kept fussing with his clothes, straightening his rasta cap, and brushing good goat fur off his shirt. Since we had no idea what we had encountered, he was dressed as a human, with the cap to hide his horns and jeans and fake feet and sneakers to hide his goat legs. Chiron, Quintus, and Mrs. O'Leary stood with the other campers who'd come with us to wish us well. But there was too much activity for it to feel like a happy send-off. A couple of tents had been sent up by rocks for guard duty. Beckendorf and his siblings were working on a line of defensive spikes and trenches. Chiron had decided we needed to guard the labyrinth exit at all times, just in case. Ambeth was doing one last check on her supply pack. When Tyson and I came in, came over, she frowned. Percy, you look terrible. He killed the water fountain last night. Tyson confided. What? She asked. Before I could explain, Chiron trotted over. Well, it appears you are ready. He tried to sound upbeat, but I could tell he was anxious. I didn't want to freak him out anymore, but I thought about last night's dream. Before I could change my mind, I said, Hey, uh, Chiron, can I ask you a favor while I'm gone? Of course, my boy. Be right back, guys. I nodded toward the woods. Chiron raised an eyebrow, but he followed me out of earshot. Last night... I said. I dreamed about Luke and Kronos. I told him the details. The news seemed to weigh on his shoulders. 
I feared this, Chiron said. Against my father, Kronos, we would no, stand no chance in a fight. Chiron rarely called Kronos his father. I mean, we all knew it was true. Everybody in, this, in the Greek world, god, monster, or titan, was related to one another somehow. But it wasn't exactly something Chiron liked to brag about. Oh, my dad is the all-powerful evil titan lord who wants to destroy western civilization? I want to be just like him when I grow up. Do you know what he meant by a, about a bargain? I asked. I am not sure, but I fear they seek to make a deal with Daedalus. If the old inventor is truly alive, if he has not been driven insane by millennia and the labyrinth, well, Kronos can find ways to twist anyone to his will. Not anyone, I promised. Chiron managed to smile. No, perhaps not anyone, but Percy, you must beware. I have worried for some time that Kronos may be looking for Daedalus for a different reason. Not just passage through the maze. What else would he want? Something Annabeth and I were discussing. Do you remember what you told me about your first trip to the Princess Andromeda? The first time you saw the Golden Coffin? I nodded. Luke was talking about raising Kronos, little pieces of him appearing in the coffin every time someone new joined his cause. And what did Luke say they would do when Kronos had risen, co risen, risen completely? A chill went down my spine. He said they would make Kronos a new body, worthy of the forges of Hephaestus. Indeed, Chiron said, Daedalus was the world's greatest inventor. He created the labyrinth, but much more. Automatons, thinking machines. What if Kronos wishes Daedalus to make him a new form? That was a real pleasant thought. We've got to get to Daedalus first, I said, and convince him not to. Chiron stared off into the trees. One other thing I do not understand. This talk of a last soul joining their cause that does not bode well. I kept my mouth shut, but I felt guilty. I'd made the decision not to tell Chiron about Nico being a son of Hades. The mention of souls, though. What if Kronos knew about Nico? What if he managed to turn him evil? It was almost enough to make me want to tell Chiron, but I didn't. For one thing, I wasn't sure Chiron could do anything about it. I had to find Nico myself. I had to explain things to him. Make him listen. I don't know, I said at last, but uh, something Juniper said, maybe you should hear. I told him how the tree nymph had seen Quintus poking around the rocks. Chiron's jaw tightened. That does not surprise me. It doesn't sir. You mean you knew? Percy, when Quintus showed up at camp offering his services, well, I would have to be a fool not to be suspicious. Then why did you let him in? Because sometimes it is better to have someone you mistrust close to you, so you can keep an eye on him. He may be just what he says, a half-blood in search of a home. Certainly he has done nothing openly that will make me question his loyalty, but believe me, I will keep an eye. Annabeth trudged over, probably curious why we were taking so long. Percy, you ready? I nodded. My hand slipped into my pocket, where I kept the ice whistle Quintus had given me. I looked over and saw Quintus watching me carefully. He raised his hand in farewell. Our spies report success, Luke had said. The same day we decided to send a quest, Luke had known about it. Take care, Chiron told us, and good hunting. You too, I said. We walked over to the rocks, where Tyson and Grover were waiting. I stared at the crack between the boulders, the entrance that was about to swallow us. Well, 
Grover said nervously. Goodbye, sunshine. Hello, rocks, Tyson agreed. And together, the four of us descended into darkness. And that is the end of chapter five. And afterward, afterwards, after this break, we will read chapter six and see what happens when after they go through that corridor and they officially start navigating through that maze. And uh, before we go into the next chapter in the break, I wanted to apologize for my pronunciations. I do realize that some of my pronunciations are not being are not good as of right now. And I will uh, try to improve upon them and i hope that this podcast will still make you feel entertained even though i have bad pronunciations and now we'll move on to the break and after the break we'll read chapter six we meet the god with two faces and we are back from the ads and now we will read chapter six we meet the god with two faces We made a hundred feet before we were hopelessly lost. The tunnel looked nothing like the one Annabeth and I had stumbled into before. Now it was round like a sewer constructed of red brick with iron-barred portholes every ten feet. I shined a light through one of the portholes out of curiosity, but I couldn't see anything. It opened into infinite darkness. I thought I heard voices on the other side, but it may have been just the cold wind. Annabeth tried her best to guide us. She had this idea that we should stick to the left wall. If we keep one hand on the left wall and follow it, she said, we should be able to find our way out again by reversing course. Unfortunately, as soon as she said that, the left wall disappeared. We found ourselves in the middle of of a circular chamber with eight tunnels leading out, and no idea how we'd gotten there. Um, which way did we come in? Grover said nervously. Just turn around, Abbott said. We each turned around a different tunnel. It was ridiculous. None of us could decide which way led back to camp. Left walls are mean, Tyson said. Which way now? Abbott swiped her flashlight beam over the archways of the eight tunnels. As far as I could tell, they were identical. That way, she said. How do you know? I asked. Deductive reasoning. So, you're guessing. Just come on, she said. The tunnel said this tunnel she'd chosen narrowed quickly. The walls turned to gray cement and the ceilings got so low that pretty soon we were hunching over. Tyson was forced to crawl. Grover's hyperventilating was the loudest noise in the maze. I can't stand it anymore, he whispered. Oh, are we there yet? We've been down here maybe five minutes, Amber told him. It's been longer than that, Grover insisted. And why would Pan be down here? This is the opposite of the wild. We kept shuffling forward. Just when I was sure the tunnel would get so narrow it'd squish us, it opened into a huge room. I shined my light around the walls and said, Whoa. The whole room was covered in mosaic tiles. The pictures were grimy and faded, but I could still make out the colors. Red, blue, green, gold. The frieze showed the Olympian gods at a feast. There was my dad Poseidon with his trident, holding out grapes for Dionysus to turn into wine. Zeus was partying with the satyrs, and Hermes was flying through the air on his winged sandals. The pictures were beautiful, but they weren't very accurate. 
I'd seen the gods. Dionysus was not that handsome, and Hermes' nose wasn't that big. In the middle of the room was a three-tiered fountain. It looked like it hadn't held water in a long time. What is this place? I muttered. It looks... Roman, Ambit said. Those mosaics are about 2,000 years old. But how can they be Roman? I wasn't that great on ancient history, but I was pretty sure the Roman Empire never made it as far as Long Island. The labyrinth is a patchwork, Ambit said. I told you, it's always expanding, adding pieces. It's the only work of architecture that grows by itself. You make it sound like it's alive. A groaning noise echoed from the tunnel in front of us. Let's not talk about it being alive, Grover whimpered. Please. All right, Ambit said. Forward. Down the hall with the bad sounds, Tyson said. Even he looked nervous. Yeah, the architecture is getting older. That's a good sign. Daedalus' workshop would be in the oldest part. That made sense, but soon the maze was toying with us. We went 50 feet and the tunnel, tunnel turned back to cement, with brass pipes running down the sides. The walls were spray-painted with graffiti. A neon tagger sign read, Moz Rolls. I'm thinking this is not Roman, I said hopefully. Ambit took a deep breath, then forged ahead. Every few feet, the tunnels twisted and turned and branched off. The floor beneath us changed from cement to mud to bricks and back again. There was no sense to any of it. We stumbled into a wine cellar, a bunch of dusty bottles and wooden racks like we were walking through somebody's basement. Only there was no exit above us. Just more tunnels leading on. Later, the ceiling turned to wooden planks. And I could hear voices above us and the creaking of footsteps as if we were walking under some kind of bar. It was reassuring to hear people, but then again, we couldn't get to them. We were stuck down here with no way out. Then we found our first skeleton. He was dressed in white clothes, like some kind of uniform. A wooden crate of glass bottles sat next to him. A milkman, Abbott said. What? I said. They used to deliver milk. Yeah, I know what they are, but that was when my mom was little, little, like a million years ago. What's he doing here? Some people wandering here by mistake, Abbott said. Some people come exploring on purpose and never make it back. Long time ago, the Cretans even sent people in here as human sacrifices. Grover gulped. He's been here a long time. He pointed to the skeleton's bottles, which were coated with white dust. The skeleton's fingers were clawing at the brick wall like he had died trying to get out. Only bones, Tyson said. Don't worry, go boy. The milkman is dead. The milkman doesn't bother me, Grover said. It's the smell. Monsters, can't you smell it? Tyson nodded. Lots of monsters, but underground smells like that. Monsters and dead milk people. Oh, good, Grover whimpered. I thought maybe I was wrong. We have to get deeper into the maze, Abbott said. There has to be a way to the center. She led us to the right, then the left, through a corridor of stainless steel, like some kind of air shaft. And we arrived back in the Roman tile room with the fountain. This time, we weren't alone. What I noticed first was it were his faces, both of them. They jutted out from either side of his head, staring over his shoulder, so his head was much wider than it should have been. 
kind of like a hammerhead shark's. Looking straight at him, all I saw were two overlapping ears and mirror image sideburns. He was dressed like a New York City doorman. A long black overcoat, shiny shoes, and a black top hat that somehow managed to stay on his double white head. Well, Annabeth, said his left face, hurry up! Don't mind him, said the right face. He's terribly rude. Right this way, miss. Annabeth's jaw dropped. Uh, I don't... Tyson frowned. That funny man has two faces. The funny man has ears, you know, the left face scolded. Now, come along, miss. No, no, the right face said. This way, miss. Talk to me, please. The two-faced man regarded Annabeth as best he could out of the corners of his eyes. It was impossible to look at him straight on without focusing on one side or the other. And suddenly, I realized that's what he was asking. He wanted Annabeth to choose. Behind him were two exits, blocked by wooden doors with huge iron blocks. They hadn't been there our first time through the room. The two-faced doorman held a silver key, which he kept passing from his left hand to his right hand. I wondered if this was a different room completely, but the freeze of the gods looked exactly the same. Behind us, the dory we'd come through had disappeared, replaced by more and more mosaics. We wouldn't be going back the way that we came. The exits are closed, Ambit said. Duh, the man's left face said. Where do they lead? She asked. One probably leads the way you wish to go, the right face said encouragingly. The other leads to certain death. I I know who you are, Ambit said. Oh, you're a smart one, the left, the left face sneered. But do you know which way to choose? I don't have all day. Why are you trying to confuse me? Ambit asked. The right face smiled. You're in charge now, my dear. All the decisions are on your shoulders. That's what you wanted, isn't it? I... We know you, Annabeth, the left face said. We know what you wrestle with every day. We know your indecision. You will have to make your choice sooner or later, and the choice may kill you. I don't know what they were talking about, but it sounded like it was more about more than a choice between doors. The color drained out of Annabeth's face. No, I don't. Leave her alone, I said. Who are you anyway? I'm your best friend, the right said. I'm your worst enemy, the left face said. I'm Janice, both faces said in harmony. God of doorways, beginnings, ends, choice, endings, choices. I'll see you so soon enough, Perseus Jackson, said the right face. But for now, it's Annabeth's turn, he laughed giddily. Ooh, such fun! Shut up, his left face said. This is serious. One bad choice can ruin your whole life. It can kill you and all your friends. But no pressure, Annabeth. Choose. With a sudden chill, I remember the words of the prophecy. The child of Athena's final stand. Don't do it, I said. I'm afraid she has to, the right face said cheerfully. Annabeth moistened her lips. I... I choose. Before she could point to a door, a brilliant light flooded the room. Janus raised his hands to either side of his head to cover his eyes. When the light died, a woman was standing at the fountain. She was tall and graceful with long hair, the color of chocolate, braided in plates with gold ribbons. She wore a simple white dress, but when she moved, the fabric shimmered with colors like oil on water. 
Janice, she said. Are we causing trouble again? No, my lady. Janice's right face stammered. Yes, the left face said. Shut up, the right face said. Excuse me? The woman asked. Not you, my lady. I was talking to myself. I see, the lady said. You know, very well, your visit is premature. The girl's time has not yet come, so I give you a choice. Leave these ears to me, or I shall turn you into a door and break you down. What kind of door? The left face asked. Shut up, the right face said. Because French doors are nice, the left face mused. Lots of natural light. Shut up, the right face wailed. Not you, my lady. Of course, I'll leave. I was just having a bit of fun, doing my job, offering choices. Causing indecision, the woman corrected. Now, be gone, the left face muttered. Party pooper. Then he raised a silver key, inserted it into the air, and disappeared. The woman turned toward us, and fear closed around my heart. Her eyes shined with power. Leave these heroes to me. That didn't sound good. For a second, I almost thought we wished we could have taken our chances with Janice. But then the woman smiled. You must be hungry, she said. Sit with me and talk. She waved her hands and the old Roman fountain began to flow. Jets of clear water sprayed into the air. A marble tap appeared, laden with platters of sandwiches and pitchers of lemonade. Who, who are you? I asked. I am Hera, the woman smiled, queen of heaven. I'd seen Hera once before at a council of the gods, but I hadn't paid much attention to her. At the time, I'd been surrounded by a bunch of gods, who, other gods who were debating whether or not to kill me. I didn't remember looking so normal. Of course, gods are usually 20 feet tall when they're on Olympus, so that makes them look a lot less normal. But now Hera looked like a regular mom. She, showed, she served us sandwiches and poured lemonade. Grover, dear, she said. Use your napkin. Don't eat it. Yes, ma'am, Grover said. Tyson, you're wasting away. Would you like another peanut butter sandwich? Tyson stifled a belch. Yes, nice lady. Queen Hera, Abbott said. I can't believe it. What are you doing in the labyrinth? Hera smiled. She flicked one finger and Annabeth's hair combed itself. All the dirt and grime disappeared from her face. I came to see you, naturally, the goddess said. Grover and I exchanged nervous looks. Usually when gods come looking for you, it's not out of the goodness of their hearts. It's because they want something. Still, that didn't keep me from chowing down on turkey and Swiss sandwiches and chips and lemonade. I hadn't realized how hungry I was. Tyson was inhaling one peanut butter sandwich after another, and Grover was loving the lemonade, crunching, crunching the styrofoam cup like an ice cream cone. I didn't think... Emmett faltered. Well, I didn't think you liked heroes. Hera smiled indulgently. Because of that little spat I had with Hercules? Honestly, I, get, I got so much bad press because of one disagreement. Didn't you try to kill him, like, a lot of times? Emmett asked. Hera waved her hand dismissively. Water under the bridge, my dear. Besides, he was one of my loving husband's children by another woman. My patience wore thin, I'll admit it, but Zusa and I have had some excellent marriage counseling sessions since then. We've aired our feelings and come to an understanding, especially after that last little incident. Y you mean when he sired Thalia, I guess? 
but immediately wished I hadn't. As soon as I said the name of our friend, the half... Oh, sorry, I meant Talia. I guessed, but immediately wished I hadn't. As soon as I said the name of our friend, the half-blood daughter of Zeus, Hera's eyes turned toward me frostily. Percy Jackson, isn't it? One of Poseidon's children? I got the feeling she was thinking of another word besides children. As I recall, I voted to let you live at the winter solstice. I hope I voted correctly. She turned back to Annabeth with a sunny smile. At any rate, I certainly bear you no ill will, my girl. I appreciate the difficulty of your quest, especially when you have troublemakers like Janice to deal with. Annabeth lowered her gaze. Her gaze. Why was he here? He was driving me crazy. Trying to. Hera agreed. You must understand, the minor gods like Janus have always been frustrated by the small parts they play in the universe. Some, I fear, have little love for Olympus and could easily be swayed to support the rise of my father. Your father? I said, oh, right. I'd forgotten that Kronos was Hera's dad, too, along with being father to Zeus, Poseidon, and all the eldest Olympians. I guess that made Kronos my grandfather, but that thought was so weird I put it out of my mind. We must watch the minor gods, Hera said. Janus, Hecate, Morpheus, they give lip service to Olympus, and yet... That's where Dionysus went, I remembered. He was checking on the minor gods. Indeed. Hera stared at the fading mosaics of the Olympians. You see, in times of trouble, even gods can lose faith. They start putting their trust in the wrong things, petty things. They stop looking at the big picture and start being selfish. But I'm the god of marriage, you see. I'm used to perseverance. You have to rise above the squabbling and chaos and keep believing. You always have to keep your goals in mind. What are your goals? Ambit asked. She smiled. To keep my family, the Olympians, together, of course. At the moment, the best way I could do is by helping you. Zeus does not let, allow me to interfere much, I'm afraid. But once every century or so, for a quest I care deeply about, he allows me to grant a wish. A wish? Before you ask it, let me give you some advice which I can do for free. I know you seek Daedalus. His labyrinth is as much as a, a mystery to me as it is to you. But if you want to know his fate, I would visit my son, Hephaestus, at his forge. Daedalus was a great inventor, a mortal after Hephaestus' heart. There has never been a mortal Hephaestus admired more. If anyone would have kept up with Daedalus and could tell you his fate, it is, Daed it is Hephaestus. But how do we get there? Abbott asked. That's my wish. I want a way to navigate the labyrinth. Harold looked disappointed. So be it. You wish for something, however, that you have already been given. I don't understand. The means is already within your grasp. She looked at me. Percy knows the answer. I do? But that's not fair, Abbott said. You're not telling us what it is. Harold shook her head. Getting something and having the wits to use it, those are two different things. I'm sure your mother, Athena, would agree. The room rumbled like distant thunder. Hera stood. That would be my cue. He Zeus grows impatient. Think on what I've said, Annabeth. Seek out Hephaestus. You'll have to pass to the ranch, I imagine. But keep going and use all the means at your disposal, however common they may seem. She pointed toward the two doors and they melted away, revealing twin corridors, open and dark. One last thing, Annabeth. I have postponed your day of choice. I have not prevented it. 
Soon, as Janice said, you will have to make a decision. Farewell. She waved a hand and turned into white smoke. So did the food. Just as Tyson chomped down on a sandwich that turned into mist in his mouth, the fountain trickled to a stop. The mosaic walls dimmed and turned grungy and faded again. The room was no longer any place you'd want to have a picnic. Ambit stamped her foot. What sort of help was that? Here, have a sandwich. Make a wish. Oops, I can't help you. Poof. Poof. Tyson agreed sadly, looking at his empty plate. Well, Grover said. She said, Percy knows the answer. That's something. They all looked at me. But I don't, I said. I don't know what she was talking about. Ambit sighed. All right, well, then we'll just have to keep going. Which way? I asked. I really wanted to ask Hera what, what, ask what Hera had meant about the choice Annabeth needed to make, but then Grover and Tyson both tensed. They stood up together like they rehearsed it. Left, they both said. Annabeth frowned. How can you be so sure? Because something is coming from the right, Grover said. Something big, Tyson agreed. In a hurry. Left is sounding pretty good, I decided. Together, we plunged into the dark corridor. And that is the end of chapter six. I hope they did make a right choice there by going into the dark corridor. And I hope Grover and Tyson, I think they can sense monsters. So I hope they chose well. And I hope they don't have to face a bigger monster in the dark corridor. But we'll find that out next week on in chapter seven. Uh, I apologize for my pronunciations. I uh, didn't mean to mess. I don't mean to mess up any of them. And I am sorry if I, when I was voicing Kronos's voice, that I sounded maybe a bit too raspy. So I hope that doesn't make you uh, have more difficulty on uh, listening to this podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And I hope that you will come back next week and find out what happened to Percy, Annabeth, Grover, and Tyson if when they went through the dark corridor. Until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.